This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Work Positive Nation, I am sure that you're like me in that there have been people who've been very transformative in your work and life. Persons that you've read that you said, wow, I need to read that book again. Well, today's guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast, I've read one of his books five times. And (laughs) I just read another of his books on the way to and from. I had my first train ride on Amtrak. Yay. It was fun. I did not miss TSA. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, Uh, but read the book uh, there and back and actually worked my way through lots of sections. I did avoid highlighting the whole book. I've got to tell you that, (laughs) but I really wanted to because today's guest just has this way of packing so much meaning and value into sentence after sentence after sentence. And one of the things I love about his latest book, which is titled Office Shock, by the way, um, is that the metaphor I just love because I was in radio broadcasting. So it's a mixing board metaphor. Right. And we're seeking harmony. So there's a lot of musical metaphors in it. Just absolutely love it. Um, I've never described myself on any of these episodes as a fanboy. But today, Work Positive Nation, I'm a fanboy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> So let me introduce my guest, Bob Johansson. Bob was there when the Internet was the ARPANET and it was birthed uh, back in 1973. He's been a futurist for 50 years. The way that I got to know Bob Johansson was through my mentor coach, who was also a Bob, Bob Dale, uh, introduced me uh, to the new leadership literacies book. And that really became the blueprint for my work in life from that moment forth. Um, you're going to be stimulated to think future back today. We'll give you a definition of that in just a few moments. But uh, what the importance of this book is all about is that since COVID, we've been wondering, okay, we've gone home to work. Do we stay home? Do we go back to the office? Do we go back to the office a few days a week? Or if we're thinking future back, is there a meta office verse out there? that we could go to. So you're going to hear all about that today. Work Positive Nation, help me welcome to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast, Bob Johansson. Bob, in case you can't tell, I'm thrilled to have you on this episode. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) Great to be with you, Joey, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Ah, Me as well. Well, you know, we're all about creating a positive work culture here on the Work Positive Podcast and the ingredients that it takes to do that. Uh, Almost three years ago now, right? We went into a lockdown 
And as you say, in office shock, things really crystallized and transformed very, very quickly. But there were so many things that were moving towards that point prior to that. So help us, first of all, think future back. What is your definition of future back thinking, Bob? Sure. So most of us, uh, most of us are stuck in the now and the now is extremely noisy. So we're in the noisy now. Mm-hmm. Future back is a way to step out. And, you know, I like to step out at least 10 years. That's beyond the normal planning horizon, but close enough in to be credible. Uh, sometimes it's further than that. But generally, you know, we're the longest running futures think tank in the world now, Institute for the Future in Silicon Valley. And we found 10 is kind of the sweet spot. So future back is going 10 years out and thinking back from there to seek your your clarity. And, you know, even in a highly uncertain world, you can usually understand that direction of change and Mm -hmm. develop that clarity 10 years out. And then you work backwards. And, you know, the reason you do that is it's actually, and this is a big surprise, it's actually easier to look 10 years ahead than it is just one or two years ahead because Mm -hmm. the now, the now is just so noisy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, someone listening to that statement, it's easier to look out 10 years than it is now. They're scratching their head saying, oh, dude, you're crazy. That's because <laughs> I think, to to use your language, they're looking for certainty, Bob. Whereas you exactly. talk about in a VUCA world, clarity is more important than certainty. Help us understand how clarity can take us out 10 years and it's easier to get above the noise. Yeah. Uh, So this notion of the VUCA world that you mentioned, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, it came from the graduate school of the U.S. Army. Now, I'm not a military guy by background, but I just happened to be there in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, the week before 9-11. And Mm -hmm. I learned about that concept of the VUCA world. And it's been very helpful. And it's really changed my life in a way, because my expectation now is that the VUCA world will be here and it's going to get even more VUCA. So what the lesson from that is, and, you know, I had thought, well, the military's command and control, they really aren't anymore. Mm. Um, the best of the militaries around the world, not just the U.S., have the concept they call commander's intent or mission command. And mm. essentially means they're very clear about direction, but very flexible about execution. And I call that I call that clarity. You can't have certainty. Mm. <laughs> you know, so our brains want certainty. They're really seeking certainty. They yeah. they want to predict, but we can't. But we can have clarity. So the big lesson from this is in a in a highly uncertain time like this, you want to be very clear about direction. Um, and it actually is easier if you look 10 years out. So a simple example from Silicon Valley, where I'm based, if you think 10 years ahead, It's obvious. We'll have sensors everywhere. Mm -hmm. They'll be very cheap. Many of them will be connected and some of them will be in our bodies. That's just obvious. Mm -hmm. What's not obvious is how do we get from here to there? So Mm -hmm. if you start with a world of ubiquitous sensors and then you come back and say, okay, what does that mean in the present? That gives you a basis to develop clarity of direction, but also be very flexible about your execution to kind of keep your clarity, even within the noise, the noise of the present. 
Mm, and boy, the present is noisy, right? <laughs> we were talking about that before we started recording, just the onslaught of media and uh, so many of us abdicating our editorial license over what we consume in terms of that content. It seems to me that our, I call it our cave person brain, the limbic system in our brain really <laughs> wants certainty, Bob, uh, because it's fight That's or flight. I, I, my, my ego is here to keep me from dying, right? And, and that limbic system is saying, hey, Joe, you got to get out of here. You got to find something, right, that smells like equilibrium or most importantly, safety. As I'm leading a team at work today, how do I give that clarity in such a with such a non-anxious presence that <laughs> any anxiety that would come from the lack of certainty uh, really unites the team and we're able to focus on mission command. Yeah. So I think it has to begin with purpose. And interestingly, during the COVID lockdown, the Blue Zones project did a nice piece of research. And, you know, Blue Zones is the project that began with National Geographic more than a decade ago to look at the places where on the earth, places where people live the longest, happiest lives. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the big findings that came out during COVID was people with a sense of purpose are happier, healthier, and they live up to seven years longer. People with a sense of purpose who live and work with purpose-driven organizations, they're happier, they're healthier, the organizations perform better, and the people live up to 14 years longer. Wow! Now, you can quibble with the details of that. But I think the big finding that to me is obvious is that purpose-driven people um, have that grounding um, mm. that really helps them develop the clarity of direction and then kind of live within that very noisy now because they have a grounding and you need that grounding. I think that grounding um has to begin with physical health. You know, we have to be physically fit mm -hmm. uh, with mental health. And 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 I actually like the way you think of the caveman brain. The modern yeah. neuroscience is essentially saying exactly what you said, that our brains want certainty. They want to protect our bodies. And, and it all developed a very long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, what we have to do is apply modern neuroscience which teaches us we can have clarity we can't we can't have certainty now i do think that spiritual grounding is important it doesn't have to be religious um but the importance of being grounded spiritually that prepares us to be engaged and to have that positive attitude in a vuca world in spite of all the negativity around us yeah that's interesting. You should say it that way. Uh, someone said to me recently, Dr. Joey, you seem like you have so much fun in what you're doing. Uh, you must know exactly what you're doing. And I'm like, no, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm clear about my purpose, to your point, and I'm grounded spiritually with something larger than myself, which is that purpose. Mm -hmm. How do we as leaders, because you know everybody's trying to attract top talent, how do we as leaders communicate that in the attraction process of talent into our companies? So that's where we get into the the subject of my new book that called Office Shock that I did with the architect Joseph Press because physical architecture is so important yeah. and the information systems professor Christine Bullen because digital is really so important. Mm -hmm. And you know Office Shock is the unsettling, 
unsettling of how, where, when, and even why, mm. even why we work. So that's kind of where we are now. We're in this very unsettled person, uh, uh, unsettled position uh, yes. where people are struggling to kind of find their ground. Mm. I think in that mood, um, it's so important as you try to draw people in, as you try to attract talent, as you try to prepare and become more resilient in the face of the world of the VUCA world, it's so important to have that that grounding. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of what we call them seven spectrums of choice. Mm -hmm. And I hope we can kind of dive into those. The first one we've already talked about, yeah, which purpose, is purpose. Right. And right. yeah, so many, um, so many of today's executives are saying, oh, when can we go back to the office? Yeah. And we're saying, well, that's a good question, but it's number six out of seven for us. <laughs> and they want to go right the first to the question, uh, geography, don't they, Bob? <laughs> Yeah. The first question is, why have an office at all? And there mm. are really good answers to that question. Uh, in-person meetings and in offices or wherever, in-person meetings are best for orientation, for trust building, mm. for renewal, mm. for early stage creativity, mm. uh, and for developing a strong corporate culture. So we know that. Um, but if you look back at the old fashioned office, the traditional office, mm -hmm. they weren't all that good for orientation and trust building and renewal and creativity. They were pretty boring. They were designed uh, like factories. Yeah. You know, so, production lines. But right? that's the fundamental question is, you know, what's the purpose? Um, then we ask, what are the outcomes you're seeking? In particular, what are the climate impacts? Because again, we're looking future back and the next decade's going to be very important in terms of climate choices. Then we ask the question of belonging, the spectrum of belonging. Mm. How do you create a a culture of inclusion, a culture of equity, a culture of engagement as you're more distributed? Then we ask about the spectrum of augmentation, and this has become really, really interesting. Yes. How do we want to be augmented in the next decade? And mm -hmm. we'll all have the ability in the next decade to become Borgs, um, to become augmented, in other words, mm -hmm. not to be worse, but to be augmented. Um, then we finally get to place and time, you know, remember six out of seven, and finally our seventh spectrum of choice. And we do suggest answering these questions in order. Our seven mm -hmm. spectrums of choice is about agility. You know, how do you keep that agility in the in the face of the VUCA world. And, you know, you have a music and production background. We use a music met metaphor, a music mixing board metaphor. Mm -hmm. These aren't binary choices. They're sliding scale choices. And I love the metaphor for that reason, because we typically think so binary, right? I mean, Elon Musk says, you got to <laughs> come back to the office, right? And, and so uh, persons who really were quite productive and accomplished their purpose mm -hmm. in a setting other than that physical space are now asking the question, why, why? Mm -hmm. So how do I in the midst of, okay, well, I know you got all seven of those and we talked about purpose a little bit. Um, I want to focus on two of them in particular, because we could go on, we could spend an hour on each of these, but I want to look at belonging and augmentation particularly. Sure. Let's take belonging first, because I think that's the heart and soul, if you will, of why we have such a high turnover rate 
why we had the great resignation, right? I don't know who created this euphemism of quiet quitting, but <laughs> there's nothing quiet about it, right? When you're not engaged, your productivity <laughs> goes down. I guess you just think that you're sliding in under the radar. Uh, but let's talk about belonging and how we in creating a positive work culture today can really emphasize belonging and get those human needs met that engage people so that work is redefined. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking future back, yes. we're going to be in a more diverse society. Um, mm. We're going to be diverse by many different criteria, not just race and gender and ethnicity, but right. also in the way we think and you mm. know, where we live and how we imagine the future. So diversity is going to be everywhere. If you think back to the traditional office, the traditional office was not designed for diversity. It was designed for familiarity and familiarity does have its virtues. You know, we have a sure. common language. We can do certain things faster. You can feel more comfortable, like a sense of belonging, hmm. but only if you're part of that familiar culture and that familiar background, you think about traditional offices and you go in the office and mm. pretty much everybody looks alike and they talk yeah. alike and they mm -hmm. dress alike, mm -hmm. <laughs> but future mm -hmm. back, that's just not going to be the way it is because you're, you're going to have more diversity out there, whether you like it or not. And we're going to have to figure out ways of engaging with that diversity, how to create a climate of belonging, a climate of inclusion. And mm. part of the great resignation was people realizing during the office shock, the shutdown, realizing that they're really not that happy doing what they're doing. And, yes. and to me, it wasn't so much the great resignation as it was, it became called the great reset kind of, because most of those people did not quit working. They changed mm. jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it instead the great opportunity that it, it, it has all these threatening aspects and it wasn't fair and it was difficult, but it's also this great opportunity to mm -hmm. rethink how we work, to mm -hmm. rethink how we live, to make mm -hmm. more basic choices about where, when, how, and, and, and even why we work. So I see this as a really healthy period, mm -hmm. a really positive transition transition if we play it right. And I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I think it's going to mm. take five to 10 years mm -hmm. to play out and resettle. Mm -hmm. During the lockdown and during the pandemic, we saw uh, antidepressant, anti-anxiety med prescriptions go up, what, 30% or something like that. Uh, teen suicide now is the leading cause of death um, among teenagers because they were home too, right? Um, so it, it apparently, to your point, it apparently suggests that work, we weren't being fulfilled. We weren't finding satisfaction. We weren't finding meaning in our work necessarily as human beings. In other words, that spiritual grounding shifted for me, right? And so suddenly the great opportunity is to redefine work. We spend 70% of our waking hours at work. So it's the largest influencer on us, if Jim Rohn was correct, and we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with, right? What I hear you saying is those people <laughs> that we're spending time with are changing, and therefore, since the first harmonizer, the first slide, right, is purpose, the great opportunity really has a, a, an amazing opportunity for those of us who are in leadership in companies and creating culture. So how can we in the midst of what's going on around us, 
combined purpose and belonging so that the persons with whom we work are finding greater meaning and purpose and satisfaction from their work. Mm. So the, the key thing is figure out what is that grounding, which you're working from, and that could be a matter of values. It could be a matter of commitment of some kind. What's the grounding that you're most comfortable in and most want to engage in. But then I think most importantly is getting a sense of your navigational star. And we have a kind of quick start guide in the book. that's actually a kind of tear out. I've got a copy right here. Uh Uh, And it's, this book came out in paperback right away, but there's a little tear out with a kind of quick start guide about what are the choices that you need to make around each of the seven spectrums of choice. And the challenge here is figuring out, well, what is the direction you want to pursue? What's that navigational star? That's really also the purpose and the grounding. And then you got to figure out, again, thinking future back, how do you get from here to there? Now, this is very much like um, thinking future back about your own life. Um, So if you think about future back, it sounds really exotic and a sort of futurist thing, but the practical (laughs) side of it is financial planning. You know, when you work with a good financial planner, they help you think through, well, how long do you think you're going to live? (laughs) And you kind of set a goal and you imagine your first, your, uh, your, your, kind of future self. And most of us, even professional futurists like me, we have trouble imagining our own personal future. Mm. But if you imagine, you know, what you're going to be like if you make it to 100 and then you work backwards, you know, how much resources, where do you want to live? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how do how do you plan to live in those places? Essentially, you know, future back is financial planning applied to your career, applied to your mm-hmm. life, applied to your community. Mm-hmm. And in the book office shock, we distinguish between individual planning about your future of work and life, organizational planning mm-hmm. and community or mm-hmm. policymakers. So we have, you know, three separate sections dealing with those those groups, but it all comes back to what's your grounding, what's Mm. your clarity of direction, and then what are the best ways, the best ways of doing this. And the exciting thing is the range of options Mm. is wider than it's ever been. Technology is better than it's ever been. And the Mm. technology we're using right now, Zoom, it didn't just happen. It was developing for 50 years. And most of the early versions of video, which I used, weren't very good. You know, they were very frustrating. (laughs) This is pretty good, but it's going to look crude 10 Mm. years from now. It's going to be dramatically better. You know, I used to be on the road pretty much all the time and I was mostly on stage. Now, my metaphor is I invite people into my study. I've got this cozy chair over here. I got my VR goggles on the wall. I've got everything around this study has a story. I've got Mm. cameras all around. I've got mics all around. I've got soundproofing. So I'm bringing people in to Mm -hmm. office hours in my study in ways I couldn't do on the stage. So I'm really trying in my virtual life to Mm. be better to be Mm. better than I was when I was on the road and on stage. So Mm. I think we each have to ask that question of what is your clarity of direction? You know, what's your purpose? What's your grounding? Mm And, and, and to some extent you have to come back as you and I have and say, what do you have fun doing? You know, what gives you that sense of meaning? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Oh, I love it. And by the way, in case you're just listening to this, uh, please go to our YouTube channel, our Work Positive YouTube channel, or go to our website and find Bob's uh, dedicated page there. It's not a virtual background. It's real. I mean, you can reach out and touch that chair. It's real. It's real. (laughs) You know, know, for my kind of work, I really don't like virtual backgrounds. I want to be more personal and invite people into my my real world. Some people, I can understand why they use virtual backgrounds and and they don't have that built into their identity and the way we work. But for me, I want to invite people into my study. And that's part of the value I'm providing. Mm, yeah. And, and it makes you more accessible. And in terms of belonging, it helps us get to know you better, Bob. Right. Exactly. Seeing, here's that's Bob's exactly. favorite chair. It's, Look at all those books. Yeah. He doesn't just read from a Kindle. He actually has paper books on all those shelves. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, the physical book still has advantages. And and mm-hmm. these are all books. This is a working library. So I'm in it every mm-hmm. day. Wow. And it's got stories, as we all need to have as leaders. Yes. You know, the the Mickey Mouse up there is from a project I did with Walt Disney World on uh-huh. the first sensor in the theme parks in Orlando, and oh. that has actually a sensor in its nose. Uh, the the uh, Big Bird is from a presentation I did on Sesame Street, and Big Bird was there, and it was great. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, wow! So I've got these different memories and these different stories, and uh-huh. we all have them. Leaders leaders have to be great storytellers. Mm. And it's those stories that create that sense of belonging and offer That's that right. clarity, right? Because we're getting to know each other as human Very beings rather than automatons that are doing work in a production factory. We're persons. And then it becomes that source of spiritual grounding from the purpose. Mm. You're definitely right, Joey. Like our brains are wired for stories. Yes. And if they don't hear stories, they make them up. You know, they make them up. That's right. So so I want to tell real stories, authentic stories, true stories mm. to engage people in the future. But I don't want to pretend I'm something I'm not. And mm. we all have to figure out what's what's our story that we want to share with people. How do we want to bring people into that story? And in those, I'll call them copycat office environments, like you were describing earlier, where everyone looks the same and everyone dresses the same and things like that. Uh, Today, office shock obliterates all that, right? And so we're going to be who we are, because I think that's part of what's kept us so miserable and disengaged at work Mm, is there's this preconceived notion of what people look like and act like that work around here. When in fact, diversity, uh, unity in the midst of all that diversity is really what creates the best productivity, the most imaginative and innovative work. Yeah, I think you're right. And and the way I would say it, Joey, it isn't exactly obliterates it. It's more like it puts it in a pause and mm. allows us to redefine it. I am finding some companies who say they want to go back and who actually believe they want to go believe they can go back. So yeah. I, I was talking with a CEO not long ago and and he just said, you know, Bob, I've had it with all this hybrid work stuff. <laughs> hybrid is over. We're we're hybrid and done. Uh, mm. So I'm going to let a few people. People work at home, but I've decided we're back to the office. It's hybrid and done. Um, mm. That person's not going to be in a leadership role for long. Not very long. Um, 
they may survive in some isolated industries or some isolated part of the part of the country or the world. They're not going to be typical at all um, yeah. because the best talent is going to want flexibility. Exactly. The VUCA world is going to require agility. Mm. Um, and you can't do that in the old fashioned office. So mm-hmm. there'll be a kind of temporary period where you see mm-hmm. some industries. Uh, financial services has been one of the most backward so far of kind of ordering people back to the office. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a session tomorrow morning for the federal government. There's actually a lot of politicians who are kind of forcing government workers back to office best mm-hmm. they can. And in that case, it's more of a lack of trust. You know, they're not they're not yeah. trusting people, even though the data suggests, as, as you suggested, that mm-hmm. many cases, office workers have been more productive yep. without offices. <laughs> so yep. office workers are more productive without offices. So <laughs> what does that tell you? But it is, I think, a matter of trust. And, mm. and, and I do need to repeat that I'm not saying we're going to do away with offices. I'm not saying we're going to no. do away with in-person. In fact, mm. the more digital we become, the more we're going to value in-person experiences, but mm. they're going to be much better. We'll mm. design them for orientation, for trust building, for renewal, for early stage creativity. Mm. We'll design them to grow a strong co- corporate culture. So th- they're mm. not going to go away. They're just going to be better and mm-hmm. they're not going to be as constant. And I do think the the long-term trend here, we're going to have fewer office buildings mm. and those that are left are going to be much more well designed for the kind of in-person experiences that are most productive and and most valuable and in fact most most humane mm. Mm. i love that as i read office shock and you were talking about this in in that particular section being from the south okay i think about a couple of places where we sit around and tell stories because what you mm-hmm. just described as more humane means that we're telling our stories, right? I thought right. about Sunday dinner tables, right? Yes, good point. So, so that's, and we're sitting and usually it's an oblong table and we're sitting around and we're eating. But of course, in the South, you can talk with your mouth full. So, um, <laughs> right? so we're telling our stories. And the other metaphor that came to my mind was front porch sitting. Um, nice. Oftentimes, I just like both sitting of these, yeah. and rocking and and uh, yep. telling our stories and getting to know one another. And once there is that commonality of clarity around purpose and that spiritual groundedness, then the real work can start. Right, the creativity yeah. and innovation. All right, I promise. Uh, are, positive nation. We good get, stories. Yeah, exactly the stories. I promise. Work positive nation. We get to augmentation. So let's talk about, um, by the way, Bob Johansson is my guest today. Go wherever you buy books and get office shock. Um, you will thank yourself later for making the investment. <laughs> and I can promise you, though, it comes with this disclaimer. You're going to read it more than once because it's <laughs> that good a book. It really, really is. It made my six hour train ride, Bob, seem like 30 minutes. I mean, it just, oh, I, I just poured myself into and through the book. So, Artificial intelligence is a phrase that uh, you you don't particularly like. Why don't you like that phrase, (laughs) artificial intelligence, Bob? Yeah, so I've been studying emerging technologies for almost 50 years now, and I grew up with Silicon Valley. The worst term, the worst term... (laughs) 
that has been used to describe an emerging technology is artificial intelligence. It just started a really bad story, a very bad kind of takeover story of computers replacing humans. Now, there is some of that, but that's Mm -hmm. not the big story. The big story is humans and computers doing things together that have never been done before. Mm. Um, Tom Alone, the wonderful computer science and social psychology professor at MIT, Tom calls it superminds. I like that term a lot better, that we're actually creating superminds. But if you think about this in a practical way, again, imagine your future self. If you're in a leadership role Mm -hmm. now, 10 years from now, if you're going to still be in a leadership role, you're going to have to be augmented. Mm. This isn't an option. The mm. option is how are you going to be augmented? <laughs> but if you're if you're right. not augmented, you're out of the game. So I write books. I write books aimed at big audience. So I I want to write big league books. Mm-hmm. So if I'm writing big league books 10 years from now, I'm going to have to be augmented. Mm. That's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. So in the chapter on what we call the spectrum of augmentation, we used GPT-3 to help write that chapter mm-hmm. to get a sense of it, a very large AI-based language model. We're actually now creating, jo- Joey, I can announce this on your podcast for the first time. Mm-hmm. We're actually creating a chatbot for Office Shock. Are it's going to really? be called... Office Shock chatbot. And that yeah. chatbot, grounded in GPT-3, is going to go public in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it essentially takes all of Office Shock and creates it in a question and answer format. So you can mm. you can now talk to the Office Shock chatbot kind of like you're talking to me. And the first event I'm going to do with it is I'm going to be interviewed on a podcast we're going to do on LinkedIn. My colleague, Joseph Press, will do this. Uh, he'll interview, but the but whenever he asks a question, like you've been asking questions, we'll ask the chatbot first, and we'll see what the chatbot says. Wow. And then I'll offer color comments. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've got the so, play-by-play analyst, you got the, and you'll right. be doing color commentary. The chatbot's going to be the play-by-play. I'm going to be uh, the color. And we're going to see how it comes out. But that's mm-hmm. that's basically where we're moving in terms of books. We'll still have books 10 years from now. I'll still mm-hmm. have books on my bookshelf because sure. there's certain things that paper or hardback books do that ebooks or audiobooks don't do. Right. Um, so don't believe it when people say, oh, I'm going all digital. I don't like old fashioned <laughs> books anymore. That's not that's not the way we're going to be thinking. There's going to be different media for different purposes. We're going to have physical books. Mm. We're going to have ebooks. We're going to have audio books. We're going to have interactive books mm. and we're going to have chat books. I, I mm. think we're going to be the first chat book for any book um, wow. that's been out. I think we're going to be the first, but it's got to happen within this next week because the tools of GPT three and of chat GPT are becoming so good. Mm-hmm. So the kind of takeaway from this, Joey, in answer to your question is we're all going have to be augmented. Hmm. Um, And generally, this is good news. Uh, We're going to be better off if we're augmented because we're finally going to be able to answer the question, what can humans do best? Hmm. And what do we want to keep for ourselves? And what can computers do best? And Hmm. how do we want to be augmented? So we're not, there's going to be some examples of replacement, but mostly it's going to be examples of augmentation. Hmm. Yeah. 
friend of mine uh, works for Toyota Research, and they recently had a press day. And this is the very, these are the two questions that they paired up. What's the role of humans? What's the role of computers right. in getting the work done? So right. uh, chat GPT uh, has, has really taken most of the popular press headlines by storm recently. <laughs> It would had. you, um, in, in a way that, that I can understand, would you distinguish between chat GPT and GPT-3? So, sure. And I'm, I'm a humble social scientist. Right, right. I'm not yeah. a computer scientist. That's why so. I said so I could understand it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the technical yeah, so, nerds know a lot more about it than either of us. <laughs> so my understanding and the people I'm working with to design this uh -huh. uh, office shock version of chat GPT, what, what you have with GTP, GPT is a large language model. Sure. That essentially predicts what's coming next. So in the mm -hmm. case of our book, the language model is going to contain everything in our book, that mm -hmm. whole book. And it'll model that. Mm -hmm. And based on the questions that it's asked, it will try to predict the next words, the next responses. So it's part retrieval mm -hmm. and part generation, text generation. Mm -hmm. So it not mm -hmm. only retrieves, it tells it as a story. It actually puts together a story in response. Mm -hmm. Chat GPT is more interactive than the original version of GPT-3. And there will be a GPT-4. And mm -hmm. it's it's a very interesting company, OpenAI, that created it. It's more of a collaborative. Now Microsoft has become a major investor. And what we're really thinking of here, Microsoft's already talked about adding it to search uh, with Bing. And yes. Google has their version called BARD. Um, what I think is going to happen, and, and I don't have any inside information here, but what I think is going to happen is something like chat GPT is going to be added to Microsoft Word so that mm -hmm. as we're writing, you know, for me as a writer, the thing I hate is the first draft. You know, I <laughs> love the outline. It's hard work. I love thinking through <laughs> the concepts. I love going back and editing and finalizing. Mm -hmm. I really don't like doing first drafts. So what it, what I'm going to be able to do pretty soon is to say, okay, write me three paragraphs on X topic. Mm. And, and the first draft that GPT does will be sound, but not very creative. Um, and it'll probably get some things wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so the current version, it's startling how smart it is and also startling how dumb it can be. Because mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. really know what it's saying. It's only predicting based on the word patterns that come from the large language model. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are now and where I expect to be as a writer. And it's going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, the the It's amazing how fast this has gone. You know, the yes. term artificial intelligence was first coined in 1956, <laughs> 56, mm -hmm. at the famous Dartmouth conference with Marvin Minsky and Herb Simon, and I think Ed Feigenbaum was there, the mainstays of the AI field, brilliant people. Mm -hmm. But I think they made the wrong choice. They chose the term artificial intelligence instead of the alternative term augmented intelligence. Mm. I think if they would have chosen augmented, the whole field would have progressed much more quickly. But it also models um, 
the insight we have as futurists is that almost nothing happens that's truly new. Almost <laughs> everything that happens was tried and failed years before. Right. And in this case, it's taken since 1956 mm. to become an overnight success. <laughs> but wow, did it do it? Um, November yeah. 30th was the release date of the free version mm-hmm. of ChatGPT. Um, and then January 30th was the release of the stable version. So, you know, we're recording this webcast now, you know, a few weeks after it's only taken a couple of months Mm -hmm. for this to spread. And in the circles I travel with anyway, most of the executives I talk with, even if they're not technical, most of them know what chat GPT is. Mm -hmm. And many of them have actually tried it. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's amazing how fast this is spread. The tool set that was just released this week mm-hmm. makes it dramatically easier to create something like a chatbot for our book. Mm-hmm. And you know that's why we're jumping on it and why we're going to release it so quickly. So it was an overnight success after 66 years. You're right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love augmented intelligence. And in fact, I'm going to co-opt that phrase and start using that now. Please. Because it really speaks to the machine human dynamic with recognition that we as human beings have our role to play and there are certain things that can't be duplicated by a machine and so there's our joie de vivre right and then there's certain things that we are our work is enhanced by with machines doing faster than us yes That's amazing. Well, we could go on and on and on. I could, anyway, asking questions and listening to you. I I confessed I'm a fanboy work, Positive Nation. Now you know (laughs) why, and I suspect you're fan uh, fans also. So wherever books are sold, we can go get our copy of Office Shock. Do that just as soon as you can, Work Positive Nation, and begin the conversation around these non-binary choices. And so you've got seven spectrums there to begin working on attracting top talent, creating a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. And Bob, we didn't, speaking of profits, we didn't even scratch the surface on the amazing clarity that you brought for me. Just two words, stakeholders and shareholders and the dynamic yes. between those two. We didn't get to scratch on climate change much at all either. Um, but your, your thoughts around that are absolutely seminal for me and really crystallized so much of what I was on an emotive level experiencing, but now I can talk about it cognitively. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Work Positive Nation always wants to know from my guest, Bob, about one thing that they can do today to start creating a positive work culture. Bob Johansson, what's your one thing for Work Positive Nation? So the one thing would be to look for signals all around you of that positive work culture. Um, And a signal for us is best expressed. William Gibson said it so well. He said, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. And (laughs) signals are these specific things Mm. that have happened all around us that give us hints Mm. of where things are going. So, Mm. you know, for example, um, a specific signal around chat GPT, we just talked about that, is a open AI has announced now they're going to be doing $20 a month subscriptions. And, um, I don't know that that's happened yet, but it's mm. likely to happen. So the signal would be chat GPT spread so quickly that it's almost become a trend now, a kind mm-hmm. of driving force, but the signal would be people are now starting to pay for it. Mm. Um, so mm. if you start every 
meeting by saying who has a signal um, that okay. relates to the positive future, relates to clarity about the future, relates to people engaging and and uh, thriving in a in a VUCA mm. world. Start with signals. So. I think future back, I'm focused my life 10 years out, but I'm always interested in signals and signals are all around us. So one specific thing you can do is become really good at spotting signals Mm. and then link those to your future back view of where you want to go, where you think you, the world is going, what is that, that source of your clarity, but look for signals. Cause they're all, they're all out there. It's just, they um, are often invisible. We don't see them and we don't put them in context. Mm. So put up your antenna and catch a signal, <laughs> right. right? Tune into the right. frequency. Perfect. Uh, thanks so much. Bob Johansson, the book is Office Shock. Get yourself a copy today, Bob. I have learned so much. Thank you so much for the gift of your wisdom and especially your time today. Work Positive Nation is better because of this conversation. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, Joey, for all you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Please share this podcast with your friends who are small business leaders so they can create a positive work culture that increases their productivity and profits. Get your free 15-point work positive checklist to help you attract top talent and reduce team turnover. Download this checklist at workpositive.today slash checklist. Remember, It pays to work positive.